Welcome to Missio Church. My name is Bernie. I have the privilege of serving as one of the elders here, and it's a, a joy now to be able to open God's Word with you. I want to say welcome to uh, any of you who might be visiting with us, or uh, perhaps it's your second or third time. Um, this morning we are departing from our, our, our usual practice here, which is to um, take a book of the Bible and begin to work through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, as we've been doing um, with the Psalms. But um, it is the season of Advent Uh, a word that may be familiar to some of you, maybe not to others. Advent simply means coming, and we celebrate as we look back to the first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we also look forward in expectant hope to uh, His great second coming. And so we are going to uh, just uh, tap pause on our series through the Psalms, and uh, this morning we will not be working through one passage. This morning will be kind of odd. We'll be doing uh, sort of a tour of the Bible, as it were, as we um, think about the Christ of Christmas. Um, And so if you would, uh, bow your head with me, and let's pray. For the aid of your spirit, um, we need your help. Our minds are darkened in understanding. Um, We need to see very clearly the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so I pray that you would help us to do that as we look at your word. Make that very clear to us this morning in your word. Show us our need. Show us the great provision you have made. And so, Father, I pray that your word um, would, as you have promised, not return to you void, but would accomplish that for which you have sent it forth this morning. May the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our heart be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray these things now in the name of of your son Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So, as you all know, it's officially the Christmas season. Things are in full swing. And one of the things that many of you know that happens at my house every year is that we watch the movie Elf at least once, more realistically, several times in the next couple of weeks. And for those of you living with the misfortune of never having seen this now classic Christmas movie. I'm looking at you, John Ferrugio. (laughs) Elf is a movie about a human that was raised as an elf at the North Pole. And he finds out that he's not really an elf, and so he heads off to New York City to find his biological father. And while there, Buddy the Elf uh, travels around and lands a job, as is appropriate, as an elf at the department store, Gimbel's. Like many stores and malls at this season, um, Gimbel's had a Christmas wonderland where kids could go and tell their, uh, their wants and their desires to Santa and have their picture taken with him. And the announcement is made that Santa is coming. And Buddy the Elf takes center stage, jumping up and down in front of children half his size, excited out of his mind that he will see Father Christmas. 
But what Buddy doesn't understand is that Santa is played by actors in the human world. And when store Santa arrives, Buddy rushes to greet his old friend, Santa Claus, only to find a smelly sham of a Santa in a sheep suit with a very bad beard. And, and Buddy is disturbed and incensed, and he is warning the kids, don't tell this guy anything. Don't tell him one of your, uh, one of your things on your Christmas list. And kneeling down, he begins, to, uh, he begins to get in the face of Santa. He says, you disgust me. How can you live with yourself? You're a fake. You sit on a throne of lies. <laughs> and then he rips the beard off a of Santa face, and it devolves into a wrestling match that, dis- that absolutely destroys the winter wonderland that is the Christmas department at Gimbel's. Buddy was so committed to the real Father Christmas, the, uh, the Santa that had raised him as a dad, uh, the, the Santa that had cared for him, uh, the Santa that loved him, that he loved, that he was not willing to settle for some cheap knockoff Santa, nor would he sit by as others' kids or others cozied up to this, uh, this imposter. And I I tell that story because I think that we could all use a little more buddy in us. I I think as individuals and as the church, we, like like kids uh, on Santa's lap at Gimbel's, um, naively cozy up to notions of Jesus presented at Christmas that are nothing more than cheap and, and disgusting imposters of the real Jesus. Instead of trusting in and embracing the Jesus of the scriptures that we're going to look at here, we settle for a deficient and a powerless Jesus, merely a little baby in a manger that represents some ambiguous notions at this time of year of of new beginnings, of goodwill, of love and peace to all humankind the things that are so common at this time of year, but things that lack any real substance or power. So if it's important that we not be fooled and and cozy up to these imposters that appeal to our emotional side of us, we must ask and answer, who is the actual Christ of Christmas? And that's what we're going to spend this morning and the next several weeks doing. Next week, we're going to look at the fact that Uh, The Christ of Christmas is truly God. The week after that, we're going to look at the fact that the Christ of Christmas was and is truly human. And and the week just before Christmas, we're going to look at the fact that the Christ of Christmas is utterly unique. But today, we're going to stop for a moment and think about this root uh, name, this root word, Christ, that is at the root, at the heart of the word, Christmas, Christmas. Um, So I think perhaps it would be important for us to begin by acknowledging that Christ is not Jesus' last name, as in Bernie Elliott, Jesus Christ, right? That's not a last name. Some people think that. Christ is a title, not a name, and it's a title which means anointed one. In the Old Testament, 
the first section of the Bible, there are three kinds of people who were anointed with oil in a ceremony that set them apart for their job or for their office. Three, these three kinds of people were anointed with oil and that was a sign uh, applied to them uh, conferring God's authority upon them to do what they were called to do. And these three kind of people or anointed ones were prophets, priests, and kings. And Jesus is called Christ, anointed one, because as a mediator, he came to fulfill, to live into what it really meant to be a prophet, a priest, and a king. The Old Testament expectation for this is all summed up in the, in the word or the title, Mashiach, Messiah, anointed one. So, but I want to just like think about this. Some of you have been Christians for a long time. You've been around the church. You, you've been uh, familiar with Christianity. And you might say, what's the big deal about, what's the, why is it so important that we identify Jesus as prophet, priest, and king? What's, what's the big deal? And I want to tell you, it's, it's quite the big deal, actually. Not only does it help us make sense of how the Old Testament and the New Testament fit together, we really don't have a Christianity without it. If we turn back to the opening pages of Scripture, which we don't have time today to do, we would see the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis 2 and 3, whom God created to love, to know, and to represent him in the world. But Adam and Eve sinned against God, disobeying, rebelling against God's gracious law or command. And the Bible explains that their sin... Adam and Eve's sin, had consequences not only for themselves, but for you and me, for all humanity, every person that's ever lived on planet Earth. They were our representatives. God appointed them, Paul tells us in Romans 5, as our representatives. And so as a result of Adam and Eve's sin, their rebelling against God, their disobedience, humanity fell into ignorance guilt, and bondage to corruption or decay. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, humanity was plunged into ignorance, guilt, and bondage to corruption. Sin has radically affected the human condition, the entire life of humanity. It's exhibited itself as ignorance, as blindness, as error, as untruthfulness. Sin has, the effects have also exhibited themselves as unrighteousness, as guilt, as moral pollution. And the effects of sin have also exhibited themselves in misery, death, decay, and destruction. As a result of sin, you and I, we are subjects to, subject to guilt to ignorance, to corruption, and decay. So here's what I want you to know. Sin is not, the Bible's description of sin is not that it's some small oopsie. Right? It is a devastating condition, a devastating disease from which we need healing, what the Bible calls salvation. 
And this is why we must all embrace and trust in Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king. This is why those of us who know the Christ of Christmas delight in him as our prophet, as our priest, and as our king. Let me explain just a bit more. Let's go back to that first statement. Because of sin, you and I are subject to ignorance. The great need of every person, and and you might not think it today, friend, but your great need is to know God and subsequently to love and to, to trust him. But our sinful state into which we were born makes this impossible. We cannot know God. We cannot love him as we should. This is what Paul taught the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. If not, you should find it up on the screen, uh, directions to find that. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Paul teaches this. The natural person, that is the person without the Spirit of God, not a Christian, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. Foolishness, silliness. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So our sin has distorted our minds such that the truth of God, the truth about God, is not only foolishness to us, we just can't get our minds around it. Um, Ephesians 4, Paul teaches much the same thing. In Ephesians 4, Paul says this to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 4. He says, now I say this, in verse 17, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. In other words, think as, uh, as much as you want. It's futile. It's pointless. You can't get your mind around it. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. You see, this is the bad news. Our ignorance alienates us from God. And we cannot find God of our own strength, on our own terms. But Jesus is the great prophet who erases our ignorance. Jesus is the great prophet who erases this ignorance. You might ask, what's a prophet? A prophet was an individual in the Old Testament who represented God to humanity. He would go and he would speak on God's behalf to the people of God or, or others. He would speak in God's name. Deuteronomy 18.18, 18, Moses describes it like this. He says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So a prophet wasn't there to come up with really important messages, to devise these messages on his own. He simply passed along what he heard, right? He got a message from God. He communicated the message from God. He revealed God's will given to him. 
And that's a helpful understanding of what a prophet is because Jesus, in John chapter 12, says the following words. Look at John chapter 12 with me. John chapter 12, verses 49 and 50. Think about the words we just heard and that will frame Jesus' words for you here and and allow you to understand what he is saying about himself. He says, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. What is Jesus doing? He's identifying himself as a prophet, one who is revealing God and God's, uh, God's plan. Verse 50, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus saying is, he is the great prophet who has come to erase our ignorance, to reveal God truly, and to erase our ignorance. And that's why in Acts 3, Peter is preaching, and he says, he quotes Deuteronomy 18, the verse that we just read, and he says, this is true of Jesus. Jesus is the great prophet whom God raised up. So Jesus is the great prophet who erases our ignorance, who comes to us in our blindness, in our error, in our hardness of heart, and he makes the Father known to us. And we cannot know God apart from Christ. But Jesus is not merely a prophet. There are other religions, I don't know if you know, there are other religions who are glad to, uh, to confess that Jesus was a great prophet, a messenger of God. They teach that very thing. They say, yes, Jesus was a prophet who told us all about God and what God wants, but now we must do, uh, get to work cleaning up our mess, the mess of our individual lives and the mess of our society. So let's get to work now. And while the scriptures are clear that Jesus is the great prophet who erases our ignorance, the scriptures are just as clear that Jesus is the great priest who wipes away our guilt. You say, what's a priest? Well, Unlike the prophet who represented God to humans, in the Old Testament, the priest represented humans before God by offering sacrifices for the sins of the people. Hebrews chapter 5 defines what a priest does very clearly. Hebrews chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 1 says this, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. And the reason these these animals, these sacrifices that were put on an altar and burned, the reason they were necessary is that people's sin, that it's their, their disobedience or rebellion to God's law, it polluted them. It made them guilty before God and unable to to draw near to him. You see, uh, apart from the priests, the prophets would have done no good. The prophets would have made them know what they needed, 
but they would have been unable to do it. It's like um, when you go into a restaurant and you see uh, the signs on the door. I don't know. I don't see them very often anymore. I remember them all the time when I was a kid. Um, no shirt, no shoes, no service, right? Now, the prophets came to say, hey, what's in that restaurant is amazing. You want that. You need that. But uh, we stand naked outside without the priest who came to, to clean us up and make us presentable before God. So we can know what's in there, but we can't enter in. And the priest came to do away with our guilt and our shame, our sins keep us from God. We are guilty. And so in our natural state, apart from the Spirit of God, we are unable and unwilling to meet God's standard and to worship Him in obedience. We stand polluted and guilty before the great judge. We need to be clean. But Jesus is the great priest who wipes away our guilt. You see, Jesus demonstrated in both his life and his death that he was the ultimate priest, the priest to which all those other priests and those sacrifices in the Old Testament pointed forward to, hinted at, foreshadowed. But the crucial difference is that while all those Old Testament priests, they offered sacrifices of animals, Jesus, the great high priest, offered himself. Look at Hebrews chapter 9 with me. Turn over just a few pages. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. Uh, The author of Hebrews is encouraging those who trust in Christ with these words. He says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify, there's that word clean, cleanse, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. See, Jesus did this as he took our punishment on the cross, the sin, past, present, and future of all those who would trust in Christ was was given to Christ as the great priest, and he dealt with it on the cross. Jesus is the great priest who wipes away our guilt, and we cannot be clean from the penalty or the power of sin apart from Christ. But Jesus is more than just some truth-telling prophet and more than just some compassionate priest. In addition to prophet and priest, Jesus Christ is the authoritative king who liberates us from our bondage to decay, to death, to corruption. Remember, we said because of sin, we're subject to ignorance, to guilt, and because of sin, we are subject to corruption, to decay, and to death. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul makes this connection very clear. Romans 5, verse 12, he says, Therefore, Just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. 
And so death spread to all men because all sin. See, Paul's making the connection between sin and the resulting death. And just a, a few chapters later, Paul is lamenting this very thing. And, and we sang about this in our first song. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 20, says this. For the creature was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we await eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. See, humanity was called to have dominion over the earth. God, God made Adam and Eve co-rulers with him, kings, to steward creation and have dominion. Right? He says God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion. And yet, instead, we have been overcome by sin, by corruption, by decay, by death. In the Old Testament, the kings were to be God's um, co-rulers, to carry out God's will, to execute his judgment. But all those kings, from David to Manasseh, were ultimately unfaithful and did not bring about the peace God intends for his people. But Jesus is the great king who liberates us from our bondage to death and decay and corruption. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We see this description of Jesus as king seated on a throne. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 20. says that he worked... In Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church." Christ is seated as king, but not just as king. He is the king of kings, far above all rule and dominion and authority. The king over all kings. Verse 22 says, all things are under his feet. In other words, everything is subject to his control. He is the great ruler. Revelation 1.5, John describes Jesus this way. It says, Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. You see, Jesus is the one able to carry out faithfully God's will and to execute God's judgment. Jesus is the great king who liberates us from our bondage to, to corruption, to decay, to death. And we cannot try as we might, escape 
the consequences of sin on our own. He conquered our enemy, sin and death. He liberated us. He has subdued our foes. He has saved us from death. 1 Corinthians 15 says the last enemy that to be, to be destroyed is death. Jesus is the great prophet, priest, and king. Don't settle for a merely sentimental Jesus this Christmas. Don't settle for a Jesus who gives you some good advice and some vague direction about life and about God. But but ultimately leaves you wandering, trying to find your own way. You can't think your way to God. No matter how bright you are, no matter how hard you try. As, As prophet, Jesus confronts and removes all speculation about God. You say, well, what about this way to God? What about this way? As prophet, Jesus confronts and removes all speculation about God and declares that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He not only delivers God's word, he is God's word. He shows us the Father. Jesus is the great prophet. Listen to him. Don't settle for a loving Jesus who, while he's full of of compassion and, and lots of sound teaching on loving your neighbor, stands aside as we give life our best shot. Such a Jesus leaves you hopeless. As priest, Jesus puts away any foolish notion of salvation by morality or salvation by doing your best because Jesus offered the sacrifice of himself showing he alone could provide what God demanded. He has taken our filthiness, our sin, our ugliness. He has removed the penalty and power of sin. Jesus is the great priest. Trust him. Don't settle for a meek and mild Jesus who who stands by, perhaps a bit frustrated, perhaps a, a bit disappointed, wringing his hands as people demonstrate contempt for God and as life batters us with, with hardships and sufferings and death. See, Jesus is the great king who will conquer and subdue his enemies and bring all things into conformity to God's will. Jesus is the great king. Submit to him. Is Jesus your prophet to teach you? Is is Jesus your priest to to sacrifice for you, to intercede for you, to bless you? Is Jesus your king to guide you and to graciously rule you? Uh, Don't think that you can embrace him as as priest but not as prophet and and king. Don't think you can embrace him as as prophet but not as, as priest and king. He is in his office as mediator, prophet, priest, and king. He presents himself to redeem us in those three offices. The Christ of Christmas is the great prophet, priest, and king. 
who delivers us from ignorance, who wipes away our guilt, and who deals with our bondage to decay, to corruption, to death. If you've never embraced this Christ, the Christ we've just seen in the scriptures, you are commanded to call on him and to trust in this Jesus today, confessing your sin and acknowledging that he has done all that needs to be done for salvation. If you've yet to call on him, I encourage you to submit your life to him today. Come and talk with me or Levi or Nate afterwards. We'd love to talk to you about our Jesus. But any other so-called Jesus leaves you in ignorance, leaves you in guilt, leaves you subject to death and hopeless. But Jesus, the great prophet, priest, and king is good news indeed. Don't place your hope either in this life or in death, in your government, in the goodness of of humanity, in a social movement, in a relationship. Place your hope both in life and death, in the Christ of Christmas. He has accomplished salvation for those who trust in him. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why Christmas is good news. Some of you know Jesus. You've you've heard his call and you've followed him. But perhaps you've gotten a bit disoriented by life, its struggles, its hardships, its temptation, its allures. Fix your eyes again on Jesus this morning. Delight in him as the one who stands today as your prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is the great prophet, priest, and king. Listen to him. Trust in him. Submit to him. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Father, this morning we thank you for your word. And I pray now, by your spirit, you would reveal the ignorance and error of our hearts and show forth your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that now, by your spirit, you would expose our sin and guilt, the lust and the lies of our heart, and give us strength to trust in the settled work of your Son, our great High Priest. Father, I pray that now, by your Spirit, you would make clear our misery, our bondage to death apart from our great and merciful King, Jesus. We need a mediator. We declare that to you today. We need somebody between you and us. And as at creation, you commanded light to shine forth out of darkness. I pray that you would shine now in hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Satisfy us with the gift of your Son. 
as our, as our bodies this week have been satisfied by great meals, as, as our lives are filled with happiness at great celebrations, Father, overwhelm us with the surpassing greatness of Jesus, our prophet, priest, and king. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.